The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 166 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, take two. Oh my goodness, uh, I'm just going to apologize up front. This episode's coming out late. Um, I don't know yet if it's even going to make it out on Tuesday, like they usually come out on March 2nd. It may be actually Wednesday morning, March 3rd, before this comes out. I had some issues. I lost my entire uh, role of what I had recorded previously. Thankfully, the interview is still here. The chapter reading is still here because... My guest today is Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author Jamie Beck, and it is a fantastic conversation. We are talking about success through failure and rejection, uh, genre blending, crossover in stories from one to another, even when they're not an actual sequel, and uh, she has some great advice about don't worry about the what might have been. Uh, because this is such an unpredictable industry, uh, being a writer is. So all that and more, plus a sample chapter of her upcoming book, uh, book three of the Potomac Point series. It's called For All She Knows. It comes out March 30th, and it's available for pre-order right now. So make sure after you hear that sample chapter, then you can click that link in the show notes and get on over and pre-order a copy for yourself. It's gonna be it's gonna be well worth it. You're gonna really enjoy it, and uh, I mean, look at those credentials that I mentioned before: Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author. That's just to name a few. Um, listen to the interview; you're gonna hear she has a lot of a lot of good stuff uh, going for her. Uh, she's quite the accomplished author. Uh, not only that, but and I I can't remember now because I recorded this bit long before, and now I'm having to re-record everything. But I'm it's funny. Having the conversation with Jamie, we talked about at the time I was recovering from a cold I had caught, and she was like, "Oh, thank goodness, you know, you don't have COVID." And I said, "Yeah, I know, right?" It's like, who knew we'd be in a world where that's what we're thankful for? Thankful it's just a cold. And of course, as you all know, that's exactly what happened shortly after I did catch COVID. But I'm doing much better now. I am. Uh, my family and I are now fully recovered. I actually just got back to work this week, so uh, doing really well. <clears throat> and uh, you know, just thank you very much for all of you out there that, who have been sending uh, well wishes and uh, regards for my health. It really means a lot. With that said, I don't want to waste a whole lot of our time. I'm anxious to get us on over to the interview, and uh, you know, I've already done all this before, so. Let's just cut right to the chase and get over to uh, talking about our sponsors and podcast friends, starting with Audible. I've got a really great advertisement coming up here in just a second on how you can get a free 30-day trial. So check it out. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I use Audible. Uh, I'm a regular subscriber to that. I listen to a lot of books year in and year out on uh, on Audible. So Check out this advertisement for how you can get a 30-day free trial. Hello, friends. Jason here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. 
Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals, and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifle. Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series, narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter, the show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. All right, that was Audible. Uh, next up is our other sponsor that's been with us for quite a long time now, and it's my favorite writing software, Scrivener. I'm really excited. Uh, Scrivener 3, I, gosh, I can't remember if it's come out yet or if it's about to come out, but I'm looking forward to uh, downloading it and uh, upgrading what I have up to the next version. Having a blast right now writing in Scrivener. I do all my writing in Scrivener, and uh, I have the regular desktop version that's on my desktop computer, and it's on my computer, my laptop. And then I also have the app. And you back all those up to like Dropbox and anywhere you go, you can pick right up where you left off. Um, I even have the app on my iPad. So I'm literally ready to go on whatever device I'm using. But uh, check out this advertisement for how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener writing software, built by writers for writers. Thank you once again to Scrivener. I love that software. Now I'd like to say a quick thank you to Pop Goes the Culture Podcast and Network, uh, home to about a dozen other pop culture related shows lots of wonderful shows over there and a great bunch of guys 
Uh, I mentioned here a couple weeks ago that they were getting ready to start a March Madness thing uh, that we are actually, uh, my show is actually partaking in, where we are choosing the best movie of the 90s. And that is actually kicking off here in a couple of days on Thursday, the, what is that, that's going to be the 4th. Thursday night the 4th. You can participate live in the conversation. You can check it out. By going, uh, click that link in the show notes and get on over to popgoesaculture.com. And uh, you can follow the links on how to participate and uh, check out their shows as they happen. Uh, just remember, my movie pick for the 90s is The Fifth Element. So help me out here. I want you all to help vote for The Fifth Element whenever that comes up. And uh, we're going we're gonna to take this for the win. You know, Corbin Dallas... And Lilu Dallas Multipass. <laughs> you know, a little bit of my geekiness coming out there. But uh, anyway, yeah, check out uh, their shows, lots of other shows over there. And uh, you won't regret it. If, you, if you're a fan of pop culture, then there is lots there to offer. Uh, finally, I want to thank my other podcast network that I've been a part of for about a year now. I think it was a year ago that uh, I joined the Project Entertainment Network home to more than 35 shows. It's always in flux, but it seems to hang in there at that 35 show mark. Uh, it's a wide variety of shows, huge variety. Uh, whatever you're looking for, they have it there. Shows like this one right here. You don't have to find an interdimensional saloon to have a pint of alien beer with me, Chrissy Garrison. Just tune into my Alien Beer podcast each Thursday, and I'll share my speculative fiction stories with you. And every other week, I'll be serving up a new installment in my science fiction serial, The Multiverse Blues. Meanwhile, catch up with me at sillyhatbooks.com slash podcast. See you there. Thank you once more to Project Entertainment Network. Love being a part of uh, both of those networks that I'm in, uh, both Pop Goes to Culture and Project Entertainment. Lots of fun stuff there. Uh, but without further ado, let's get us on over to our interview with award-winning author Jamie Beck. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. This week, we are having a wonderful chat with Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author Jamie Beck. Jamie's realistic and heartwarming stories have sold more than 3 million copies. She is a two-time Booksellers Best Award finalist, a National Reader's Choice Award winner, and critics at Kirkus, Publishers Weekly, and Booklist have respectively called her work smart, poignant, and entertaining. Welcome to the show, Jamie Beck. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here, and... It's one of the things I love about this show is is discovering somebody like yourself with such accolades and a wealth of, of uh, incredible books. Uh, you've got quite the library built up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gone by in a blur, yes. <laughs> and it's amazing how many times I – it never ceases to amaze me. How many times I come across an author uh, like yourself and it's like, oh, my gosh, wow, like where have you been? And and yet, you know, I'm sure you probably have a huge following that's right now listening to this and going like, are you kidding me, Jason? It's like, Jamie's amazing. <laughs> well, I don't know about huge, but um, hopefully there are a few people who would be happy to compliment me. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
Uh, let's see, you are in, in Utah, is that correct, or is it Vermont? No, I'm actually in Connecticut, but we do have um, a home in Vermont, and then my my husband's mother had a place in Utah as well, but actually they just sold it, so we no longer have that. But we're, big, we're a big skiing family, so we like the mountains. Okay. So tell me about... Uh... Your, your, a little bit about your background. Um, I know you, you had a law degree and you worked uh, commercial real estate for a while, but uh, at what point did you get that chance to finally dive back into writing? Um, I decided to stop working or stop practicing law when I had my first child. Um, I felt very fortunate to have that option, and so I took it. And then we had our second child, but by the time they both got to be school-aged, I was looking for something to do, and I didn't want to go back to the practice of law part-time because, in my experience, when I saw women doing that, they essentially were working full-time for part-time pay. And it's a very demanding career and, and one that I never particularly loved. So I had always wanted to write as a young you know, teenager, I had wanted to write for television and or films. You know, I, I loved dramatic films. And um, so I thought, well, maybe I could try to write a book. So I did it in secret. My first manuscript I wrote secretly. I didn't tell my husband or anybody <laughs> until I got about three quarters of the way through and I knew that I would finish. Then I told my husband and my mother and I didn't know what I was doing. It was all just instinct at that point. I hadn't really tried to learn the craft. I just wanted to see if I had it in me. And it was such a wonderful experience that I looked forward to every day, those hours that I had to myself to create this world. So that's what got me into, oh, now I have a book. What do I do with it? Well, that one's under the mattress. It will never see the light of day. <laughs> but it, um, you know, then I joined writing groups and started reading craft books and, um, going to workshops. But for me, that process worked really well because I think had I done it correctly, had I tried to learn first, it probably would have sucked some of the joy out of it. And it might have even made me feel a little overwhelmed, like I couldn't possibly put that all together. So it my process worked really well for me. Um, but it did take me three manuscripts to get my agent. So it, it, it's probably not a process that everyone would, would buy into, but it worked great for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, a romance is what you started in? The, the very first manuscript I wrote actually was a YA. It was, you know, I was had my daughter in mind at the time, and it was sort of a sweet, I thought it was a romance, but again, not knowing much about the genres and craft, it probably really wasn't a romance because it didn't, she starts off kind of liking one guy and ends up with another and everything, which is a no-no in the romance world. So, um, you know, it, it, it sort of was a genre blended YA and all of my books, well, not all, most of my books are sort of that genre blended between women's fiction and romance, except for my my Sterling Canyon series, which is a ski hero series that's very, very, you know, romance centric. Um, but since that series, particularly, I've walked further and further towards women's fiction until my releases from last year and future releases are all women's fiction that may or may not have a light romantic thread in them. So it's been an evolution on every front in terms of, you know, craft development, storytelling, sensibility, all of it. 
It, it's funny. I, a little over 20 years ago, I had my first attempt at trying the the writing. Uh, I was gonna. I was a stay-at-home dad, and I got to try my hand at, at being a writer, and I took some classes, and I, I just kind of kept trying and failing and starting something, and then I'd start something else and then stop again. And I was doing the same thing because the classes I was taking were uh, about children or young adult. That's what I was writing, but my heart was never really into it. Um, I wanted to write thrillers, and I think that was my holdup. And after a couple of years, it I, I, it's hard to go back and say that was wasted time because I use that today with my writing. Uh, but I, I, I just was like, okay, I need to go back to work and find something else to do. And it's amazing to think like what might have been if I'd have powered through and pushed through and where my career might be today. But I try not to think of that, of uh, <laughs> where, where I'd be, but how I can use those lessons and what I've learned since then uh, to inform my reading, to, my writing today. Yeah, I think it's a mistake to worry too much about a timeline in this career because it's not like normal careers where A plus B equals C. And if you work hard here, you can get an expected result. You know, it's a very subjective and strange industry. And I know authors who, you know, slogged along in total obscurity until their 30th book. And then every book since has been a New York Times bestseller and vice versa. Some that come out of the gate hot and then, um, you know, and then never recapture that magic and then everything in between. So plus whatever you learn, whatever craft you learn along the way can apply equally to any book. And I think as we get older, we also, um, have a different perspective that bleeds into the writing, which probably resonates better. Mm -hmm. So I would say don't don't worry too much about the the might have beens because it, you have no idea what's coming. Still, anything could happen. <laughs> so now you had that first book that you said is is buried and put away. Nobody will ever see that. Uh, what came next for you, what, or what was your first one that came out? Well, my first book that got published was actually the second manuscript I ever wrote, but it was a manuscript that my current agent rejected, and um, it was called In the Cards, and I had sent it to Montlake, which is an Amazon publishing imprint. At the time, this was back in, oh gosh, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but I want to say 2011, 2012, mm. Montlake was relatively newer, and they were still accepting unagented submissions at that point in time. I sent it to them, forgot all about it, wrote my next manuscript, got my agent. She went around and tried to sell that book, which got roundly rejected. This is a, actually a good story. That book called Worth the Wait got roundly rejected by romance editors as two women's fiction-y and by women's fiction editors as too romance-y. But then Low, so Jill, my agent, told me to write something new. So I was writing something new, and I get an email from Montlake saying, hey, I loved In the Cards. I was a slush. It was a slush pile find. Mm. Um, is this still available? So I went to my agent, and I said, you passed on this, you know, two years ago, but they want it. Can you negotiate this for me? And maybe we can try. This is a different editor out of Montlake. Maybe they won't reject worth the wait. And so... Um, she went and negotiated. They still tried to reject Worth the Wait, at which point I said, well, make sure I can self-publish it because I believe in that book. So they took it, 
because they didn't want me to put it out before they had a chance to bring out in the cards. Mm. And when they brought out Worth the Wait, they already had me working on the ski series because they wanted something more romantic, you know, like more seriously romance. Uh But Worth the Wait did exceptionally well. It like just flew off the shelves, much to everyone's surprise. So then I had readers like, well, where's the second and third book? Because it's obviously set up as a series. So we had to do a lot of scrambling. So that's I got very busy then writing two series simultaneously and having these alternating releases. Um, so, and again, unpredictable industry, anything can happen. And I always tease that nobody really knows anything because if editors could pick the books that were going to succeed absolutely, then they would never buy a book that didn't, and every book they bought would always do well. So... You just you just never know. I always I, I think it's fascinating. Cause, and I'm a person who really is very logically driven and very linear. So it, it's very hard for me to cope with a career in a field that is so subjective and strange. But um, it is fascinating. <laughs> I I can understand that. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm much very much a people person, and I take people. I think I give people more credit than maybe they deserve sometimes. And so I get a little stunned when I'm like, what, 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 how do you, why did you get that idea? And so, yeah, it's a, it's an odd career to be in, but uh, I, I guess if you got the skin that you can take it, then uh, you can make it through. And, and uh, yeah, next thing you know, you got a bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> so your most recent series, the Potomac point, am I saying that right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Potomac Point uh, book series, uh, and these are coming out pretty quick. I must say, I was looking through your library, but you've, you're putting them out fairly quick. So let me, maybe let's start there. How often or how much do you write and how many books a year are you putting out? Well, it has changed over time. Originally, Montlake wanted three books a year, so that was a pretty crazy schedule. Wow. Yeah. Um, and my books are not short romances. They're 90,000 word, you know, they're, they're not short. So oh that was a lot. And I did get a little tired after a few years. I asked, can I pair back to two? So we were on the two book a year schedule. And now I've just asked them to pair back to one book a year. So starting next year, it'll just be one book a year release. But um, Potomac Point it is a series, but it's a little bit of a misnomer, unlike my former series, which actually had series arcs in addition to, you know, being connected books by the characters, a set of friends or a family, you know, a set of siblings. The Potomac Point books are really only connected by the location, a fictional town on, you know, Chesapeake Bay um, called Potomac Point. And so but they are really standalone books. But because my readership is used to series, we thought to bridge the gap from leaving romance and going into women's fiction to create at least a familiar setting would hopefully bring some of those romance readers along into, you know, less romance oriented stories. So that was why we made that choice, really. Um, Starting after this book, they will all be standalones. So after this last Potomac Point book comes out, the future books are, are not connected in any way at all to each other. So, Okay. Well, I'm curious then, as somebody who's practical and, and, and um, re- based in reality, I'm going to guess then that you, you write, uh, you're writing it out, you're planning out each book so that you know where they're going. I do have to 
generally do that just so that I can keep, you know, on top of getting it done in time. But I'm, I'm a little bit flexible with that. I, I tend to start with the characters and a theme that I want to explore or an issue that I want to think about or write about. Mm -hmm. And then once I have the characters kind of fleshed out, I'll, I'll create a kind of a skeletal plot. And then once I get into writing it, often I'll find somewhere in the middle that it starts to change on me. And so I'll have to do some, you know, I, I don't stick strictly to my, uh, um, uh, strictly to a plot if I feel that it's no longer working because something about the characters of the story has changed in my head. But yes, I, I can't just start. I'm not a total pantser. Um, that, that would never work for me. I'm amazed by people who can write out of order and who, you know, just, it, it, it is funny how different people's processes can be. But I think as long as you find a process that works for you as a writer, that's really the key. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think I write much the same where I have a general idea. I know where it's going to go, but I try not to write too many notes because uh, I like uh, the exploration and finding out where the characters want to take it, which mm -hmm. now that I'm writing a series, I'm finding that that's not as conducive to the story. I've got to have <laughs> a little bit of a map and stick to that. Uh, whereas my standalones, it's like, Hey, let it go. Let it fly. It's whatever's going to happen. Let's be surprised. Yeah. In a series, you have to be careful because if you don't try to plan out the three books a little or however many are in the series a little bit in advance, um, you could write yourself into some corners that then you're stuck with things that are already out there that you wish you didn't have to live with, you know, later, later down the line. So I, that would be my cautionary tale for you. <laughs> be to, you know, think about that last book in the series a little bit while you're writing the first one, because you don't want to be boxed in. Okay. Now, coming back to the Potomac point, I'm fascinated with how this is a series, but it's going, it's really the location you said is really the only tie-in. Yeah. Sometimes there'll be a little walk-on, like I'll, I'll throw a character from the first book as like one of the characters in the first book. She was a yoga teacher. So in the third book, I maybe will make a reference to, oh, I'm going to Aaron's yoga class or, so, you know, just to kind of lightly connect for readers who maybe have read all the books. But I didn't want to be just what I was just telling you about having to think so far ahead. I wanted to be freer to create stories and not have to plan as far in advance. So I didn't want the characters to be too interconnected and then get stuck with, you know, personalities and careers and backstories that would hamper um, a great idea for a new character. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. so that was, that was the, the bargain we struck with my public, with my editor. Okay. That's fascinating though, because yeah, you can end up with, like you said, the yoga places could be coming across each book or the sheriff or uh, whichever. Yeah. Or some restaurant mm -hmm. uh, could be a popular place. Yeah. The place. best friend of one character in the first book becomes the love interest of one character in this book. So he was a really, really small character in the first book. And now he's, you know, has a little bit of a heavier role in this book. So I, I you know, I've lightly threaded things, but, but you don't have to read the, the other books to get that at all. Like it, it's not important to have read 
the other books if you don't want to. So. Oh, wow. Okay. But surely everybody's going to want to go back. Everybody, you need to click the links <laughs> in there and pick up book one, If You Must Know, and book two, Truth of the Matter. And then you can pre-order For All She Knows, which is coming out March 30th. But you can pre-order it now and get yes. that. Uh, click that link in the show notes, everyone. Get in there. <laughs> well, what about, uh, is this just three parts, or do you have more planned for the Potomac? No, this is the, this will be the final Potomac Point book. And then I have a book coming out in September called The Happy Accidents, which is about three friends who are away on a girls weekend and make a pact to say yes to any adventure. And the book <laughs> opens, the book opens with them waking up to the misadventures, the consequences of their misadventures and, um, having to deal with that and where it leads them in life. So that's kind of a little bit of a fun premise anyway. Um, and then I'm working on another book right now that would be my would be my 2022 book, so uh, which is kind of quirky. I don't even know how to put it into words, so I think I won't try. <laughs> Just <laughs> I'm still at the beginning of it, so. Okay, but everybody could uh, go to your your website, and I saw where you had a blog, and uh, I think there was an email list. Yeah, I have a newsletter list that I, I only put I put out once a month a newsletter and I have a little birthday bunch where if you give me your month and day of your birthday, you get a little, you know, birthday something from me on your birthday and then I enter you in a drawing during your birth month for I do these gift boxes and so I'll do a drawing like of all the February birthdays and I'll pick someone and they I'll mail them it's got like you know, a tote bag, a mug, a signed book, like fun things like that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. It's fun. Yeah. I do little videos in there. It's just, you know, it's just for those people who are like big fans generally will we'll sign up for the newsletter and then, you know, they get little extra things that I don't necessarily put on social media. Um, so... If that's if that's your if that floats people's boats, I'd love to have you on my newsletter list. <laughs> yeah, and then they can know what's coming up. I should float that idea to my wife because February is our big month where we've got, I think, eight birthdays and three anniversaries, and we should just, hey, let's just do a drawing. Who gets a gift this year? <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> go with Good that. Budget conscious plan. <laughs> I don't think she's gonna go for it though, because so, our <laughs> anniversary falls in there too. Oh, geez, yes. <laughs> well, now, uh, aside from your uh, website, where where else is there a, another place that people should go to connect with you? Um, well, I have, obviously, a Facebook page, Jamie Beck Books. I have an Instagram account, which is, I think my handle's at writer Jamie Beck. Um, I'm on BookBub and Goodreads. I do review other books on BookBub and Goodreads. Basically, there I only review books that I enjoy. Like I, I don't bash if I, if I don't enjoy a book, I don't review it. Um, so if you like to follow authors reviews of other books, you can follow me on Goodreads and, um, and of course the Amazon, you know, there's an author page there. If you follow that, you get notified anytime. I think definitely for any new release, but also I think if books are on sale and stuff, if you follow an author so, on yeah. Amazon, they you get like those email notifications when things would be of interest to you. So I, I always think those are good ways to kind of keep up with other authors for deals and things like that. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. 
Uh, for uh, the, for this book, for all she knows, uh, book three in the series, is there anything we need to know in advance for a setup? Um, not particularly. I think. I mean, this book is basically. I think the law, the 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 top line. I won't read the whole blurb, but the top line is just two mothers face the consequences of their choices. Basically, it's a teen party that goes awry, and it kind of rips through a friendship and a community and a marriage, and and. So this book was really important to me. Um, I'm a mother of two teens. Navigating them through the social scene is not an easy, it's not a task for the faint of heart. And um, there have been some incidences in my community in recent years of parents hosting, you know, underage drinking parties and injuries happening and other things. So mm-hmm. I decided that it was an important conversation to have and always with fiction. That's a great way to raise a conversation without making judgments or casting aspersions on people. So I tried to write this in a sort of Jody Picoult fashion where hopefully I've done a good job of setting up everyone's different perspectives for why they've done uh, what they've done or choose to do, you know, how they parent and just to hopefully open up really good conversations across our country with parents um, because I know I've come up against friends whose parenting style is very different from mine and it causes you know, conflict in my own house with my kids arguing with me about something or sometimes, you know, between other adults. So anyway, I just thought it was a important topic. So that's why I wrote this book. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a real joy talking with you. And I, like I said, I just in, totally enjoyed the, idea of opening up a whole another world to me the the world of jamie beck and uh (laughs) diving into some of these books for myself so thank you so much for coming on thank you very much for having me ladies and gentlemen it's time for me to step aside hand the floor over to our guest jamie beck with her uh book three of the potomac point series for all she knows thank you okay so this is the prologue and it's told in grace's point of view who is one of the two friends in the story Sunday, January 10th, 2021, 12.15 a.m., Shock Trauma Center, ER, near Baltimore. Everyone warned me that the day would come when I'd regret befriending Mimi Gillette. But despite our many differences, Mimi and I had clicked from the moment we first met in our son's toddler playgroup years ago, when her earnestness cracked me open like an egg. After 15 minutes of chit-chat, she grabbed my hand to say, I hope we can be good friends, and I'd known she'd meant it. Sure, she could be flamboyant, and our differing parenting styles had made for some interesting conversations, but she was all heart, even after her ex-husband grounded beneath his boot heel and left her to raise their son alone. And so I tuned out public opinion. Curling forward, I hugged my calves and buried my face in my lap, each breath burning my lungs. The not-quite-sweet chemical odor of hospital disinfectant wasn't helping. With my eyes closed, the recent scene in Mimi's basement flickered like a horror film. The memory of my son's terrified tears as he lay prone and immobile on the tile floor sent a shiver down my back. I swallowed another bitter surge of bile. Excuse me, I grasped for the young nurse passing by the area where they'd left us after wheeling Carter off for tests. My son, Carter Phillips, was taken for MRIs and other tests a while ago, but we haven't had any updates. Let me check for you. Despite being harried, he flashed a sympathetic smile before continuing his journey, his focus again glued to the iPad in his hand. Thank you, I called after him. The clock read 12.15. Every minute seemed an eternity. 
Across the room, our daughter Kim lay sleeping in her pink and black leopard print PJs and slippers, her lanky 10-year-old body strewn across my husband's lap. When we'd gotten Mimi's phone call, I charged across town to her house to catch the EMTs, still in my Ugg slippers and yoga pants, while Sam had stayed behind, waiting for the girls at Kim's sleepover to be picked up by shocked parents. Now he was stroking her hair, staring into space, probably praying like me. In between prayers, prior dreadful moments, like the blue lights flashing through my mom's living room window years ago when the cops came to tell us that my older sister, Margot, had died, revisited me. My mother's pitiful howl that evening struck a new chord now. My gaze drifted back to Sam. Our eyes met, but I glanced away. Grace, Sam's deep voice quavered. Please, not now. Nothing he could say would settle the chaos in my brain. Sweat seeped from every pore. I crossed my arms and closed my eyes, wishing that when I opened them again, this would be nothing more than a terrible nightmare, that I could go back to yesterday morning or even before the damn budget debate and make different choices. Babe, Sam whispered loud enough for me to hear. I can see you spiraling. Try not to jump to the worst case scenario. We could still get good news. His soothing manner and optimism had always been appealing, but neither strategy worked for me tonight. I tugged hard at the roots of my hair, but no self-inflicted pain would reverse time. I didn't deserve peace of mind, not when everything I'd done to protect my children had been undone by a single bad decision. Each cough, creaky chair, and turn of the page in the waiting room reverberated in my head. The alcohol odor of the hand sanitizer I'd applied reminded me of the spilled drinks all over Mimi's home, making me nauseated and twitchy. I sprang from my chair and paced, envisioning my sweet boy in a wheelchair. What would that be like? How would we manage rehab in school or make the house accessible? I covered my mouth with both hands to hold in a scream about why this was happening to my baby. My phone vibrated in my pocket. Mimi again. I couldn't listen to her apologies and concern now. All I wanted at this moment was for somebody to tell us that our son would recover and walk. I collapsed back onto my seat. Sam slid out from beneath Kim and stretched. I'm going for coffee. Do you want one? No, thank you. Without meeting his gaze, I crossed the room to sit with Kim while he searched for caffeine. Was it only a week ago we'd been excitedly planning an August family biking tour of the Canadian Rockies? I shook my head again, hoping to clear it. But the faint buzz of overhead lights drilled on. That my daughter could sleep in this brightly lit, hardly peaceful waiting room astounded me. I toyed with a curl of her blonde hair, wanting to cradle her to my chest and squeeze her tight, as if my arms would keep her safe in a way that I failed to do for my son. A thick tear rolled down my cheek while I tried to follow Sam's lead and grasped for positive thoughts. None came, or if they did, they got crowded out by self-recriminations. Then Mimi's splotchy face and the somber faces of those cops reappeared, and the agony of it all stuck in my throat like a bowling ball. Mrs. Phillips, a doctor whose name I couldn't remember how to pronounce, stared down at me as Sam returned. I have an update. Okay, there you go. That was Jamie Beck reading a sample chapter from her upcoming release, For All She Knows. It is book three of the Potomac Point series, and it comes out March 30th. But you can pre-order it right now by clicking that link in the show notes. And uh, you can follow her along there in the show notes as well. Don't forget to also click the links for our sponsors and podcast friends alike. And uh, hey, don't forget to uh, subscribe on whatever podcast service you're listening to. We are on all of them at this point. 
anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. I much appreciate it. Meanwhile, I will see you guys next week with a new author, a new book, and an all-new sample chapter. Take care, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.